0: Mmm. Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon. Today we're going to be reading chapter 19 of Reincarnation, pages 164 through 178, Mormonism verse Reincarnation. Now I do not think There are any misgivings in the hearts of the Latter-day Saints this morning in regard to what President Woodruff has said to us concerning the doctrine which he has taken occasion to puncture. That is, that the spirit of any man now in this probation had been on the earth in a former age in another body. That doctrine ought to have laid still a score of of years ago, and that was uh, spoken by Francis M. Lyman in the Collected Discourses uh, by Brian Stoy, Volume One, Page Two Hundred and Sixty Six and Two Hundred and Sixty Seven. Also, uh, one thing. So. When I do these podcasts, um, I put a link in the description uh, so that you can find what I'm reading for you to read along with me. Um, I think that it would be beneficial for people to do that. Now, if you're driving or something, I understand. Uh, And then some people just want to read what I post, but they don't want to listen to the podcast, which, you know, that's... What they're gonna do, I guess. But uh, my main goal is for you to hear the podcast and read along, and then ponder over the things that I present, and uh, you know, get your own revelation. I can just tell you what I believe, or things that I know to be true. Um, but I I want this to be. Uh, something to get people to think that's why we do the long formats. I'm not into the the short memes and all of that which uh you know other people are into I'm in I'm in this to to teach and to have a discussion as well. Um, that's what I would like to do uh, although it doesn't happen very often anyway, continuing on. Each day, if not every hour, the devil is pitting his forces against the followers of Christ just as much as he was in the pre-mortal world. It is by small weaknesses and small errors that great supports can be destroyed. There is no dante with the devil. I'm not sure what that word means. So I'm, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm learning too as I'm reading these things, but uh, let's see, d'attent, the easing of hostility or strained relations, especially between countries. Um, and it comes from a French word, which means loosening or relaxing. I'm gonna, that was the, uh, New Oxford American Dictionary. The Oxford Dictionary of English as it is, uh, I think it's detente, I guess. I don't know. The easing of hostility or strained relations, especially between between countries. Um, yeah, so. So basically that sentence is there is no easing of hostilities with the devil. He knows that weak individuals make great dominoes. He knows that the collapse of individuals precedes the collapse of systems, and that comes from the deposition of a disciple by Neil A. Maxwell, page 17, and Neil A. Maxwell was an apostle in the church back in the 70s, 80s, and I think he was in the 90s, too. Actually, I know he was. He died of cancer back in the 90s, uh, I think, I I can't remember exactly when he died of cancer. I just remember his last talks before he died. He was, uh, I enjoyed his testimonies. Anyway, continuing on, the prophet Joseph Smith noted, quote, The moment we revolt at anything which comes from God, the devil takes power. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 181. And again, There are so many fools in the world for the devil to operate upon. It gives him the advantage oftentimes. And that comes from teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 331. Thus every elder should be as a watchman on the tower, lest the enemy slip in unnoticed and overtake him. We're on page 165 if you're reading along with me. It is amazing that over 1,000 different churches all profess to believe in the same Bible. Mormonism is no different. And I got to say something about that. So scripture, and Peter says that scripture is not for private interpretation. And I expound on that, and I say that, that scripture is not for private interpretation. The interpretation belongs to God. And as James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you freely. You receive revelation from God when you ponder and search and pray and ask. And as you do that and you receive revelation, what I would suggest people do is, Tell God what you believe you are being taught or what you are interpreting because that's your private interpretation and ask him if it's correct and ask for a confirmation of the Spirit. If the Spirit gets stronger and you feel the peace of the fruit of the Spirit, then you can know that that is from the Father that this is the true doctrine of God. But if the spirit leaves you and you begin to have a stupor of thought, or as uh, Bruce R. McConkey would say, it, the stupor of thought, according to Bruce R. McConkey, was that um, the spirit would leave you and the spirit of the adversary would enter into you and that you would feel uh, distress anxiety, depression, uneasiness, anger, hostility. So how I do it is I've asked God many times about different things that I study out to the best of my ability, and I ask for inspiration and guidance as I'm studying these things out, and I come to a firm conclusion, because remember James chapter 1 verse 6, let him ask in, uh, in faith, not waving For he that is like a wave Is tossed to and fro on the sea He shall not receive anything of the Lord So what I do is I, I study things out To the best of my ability I ask for inspiration and guidance I come to a firm conclusion About what I believe The correct interpretation of scripture Or the gospel or whatever and I take it to the Father, and I tell him what I believe, and I ask if it's correct, and I ask for a confirmation of the Spirit. Now, sometimes the Spirit will increase, and I will know what the interpretation that I am asking, if it's correct, I'll know that it's correct. Now, sometimes I ask too much. I'll ask... Uh, about a broad topic when I need to be line line upon line, precept upon precept. Because if you ask on a broad topic and there's parts of it that are correct and parts of it that are incorrect, the spirit cannot testify to the truth when it's mingled with a lie. So what I do is I will take each piece Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, and I'll present it to God, and I'll tell Him what I believe, and uh, I'll even like tell Him what I'm going to do, like not just ask for information, but like I'll tell Him I feel like this is what I should do with my money or my time or whatever it is, and. I'm going to do this and uh, there's been times when the Spirit withdrew from me and I knew that whatever it was that I was going to do was not exactly correct and then I stopped. Sometimes the Spirit increases and I go forward with faith. Sometimes I don't get any answer at all and I still go forward with, with faith, you know, because we're not supposed to be slothful servants. We're supposed to act and... And do good and try to keep the principles and commandments that God has given to us, but that he wants us to make our own decisions. But anyway, getting back to the interpretation of scripture, when I have asked in the past and it was wrong, my interpretation of scripture or whatever it is, did not line up with God's interpretation the Spirit's withdrawn from me, and I knew that I needed to repent for believing in false doctrine. And when I do that and I repent, the Spirit will return. And I have the Spirit with me all the time. Uh, not all the time. Sometimes I get angry and the Spirit doesn't isn't with me. But I have the Spirit with me a lot, and I notice when the Spirit leaves me. Sometimes the spirit increases when I ask these questions. And, like, I guess I'm getting into a little bit of a personal note. I am addicted to God, I love Him. And I love Him because I know how much He loves me. In my darkest hours, he has revealed himself to me in minor and profound ways. On many occasions, and when I have stood in his presence or when I've been in his presence in the spirit, or even in dreams, his love is overwhelming. Words cannot describe how powerful his love is. And because I know how much he loves me and because I know how much he loves all of us, all of us. and I just I love him and uh, i I get homesick. To be in his presence even though I know that I have uh, missions and things that he has asked me fo- to fulfill on this earth I want to go home and um, it's hard to remain on this earth and I know tangents but let's get into this just I'll get back to what I was doing in a minute because I have been in his presence in the flesh and in the spirit I realize what a powerful blessing the veil is see I'm a stubborn kind of individual like God will ask me to do something and I can go through hell and high water and I'll do it I'll try to do it and I might get mad and upset which I do Obviously, uh, anybody who's listened to my program more than just this time probably knows that I get frustrated. But here I am continuing on to do what God has asked me to do. And so with me, he's asked me to to do certain things and Jesus has asked me to do certain things. And even though I want to go home, he knows that I'm going to try to do what he's asked me to do. And maybe I not, might not be as great at it as I wish I were, but I'm going to try to do what he's asked me to do. Now, other individuals who might not have the fortitude that I have, um, if they remembered what it was like to be in his presence, it would be so hard for them to remain on the earth. And I think it was Joseph Smith. I know it was Joseph Smith, but I'm not exactly sure if I'm getting the, the quote right because it's been a long time since I've read it, but he said something to the effect of, if you knew what it was like to be in the telestial kingdom, you would kill yourself to get there. Maybe that's not Joseph Smith. It's been a long time since I've read that quote. But I think that the, the idea is correct. And if you knew what it was like to be in the presence of God, this life would be such a burden. It's already hard enough. And he gives us a glimpse, you know, with the Holy Spirit. And the more we strive to go towards him, the more he'll reveal to us about himself and his principles and his gospel. But I'm very grateful for the veil because... I think it helps a lot of people be able to deal with this world in the way that it is. And not being in his presence is hard, you know. And if you could remember what it was like, you might be as homesick as I get. Continuing on, Mormonism is no different. Hundreds of different interpretations of the restored gospel have sprung up in only 150 years, with more on the way. Every false doctrine believed in soon leads to another. If belief in multiple births is erroneous doctrine, then it can be the means of leading saints away from the path of truth. Many assumptions and interpretations of scripture and sermons have caused some Latter-day Saints to believe they must be born again on earth as babies. It is interesting to discuss a few, followed by appropriate responses. election and reprobation. Reprobation. In their efforts to defend reincarnation, some individuals use the term reprobation to, re, to, re, or to mean re-entering this mortal probation. Brigham Young has been cited as supporting that belief when he said, quote, Many of you, no doubt, have concluded that the doctrine of election and reprobation is true, and you so and you do so with propriety. For it is true, it is a scriptural doctrine. Others do not believe this doctrine, affirming with all their faith, might, and skill that free grace and free will are or ought to be the foundation of man's faith in his Creator. And that was Brigham Young Journal of Discourses, Volume 7. Page 283. I want to look at this word reprobation real quick and see if I can get a a dictionary definition here. Reprobation. It's an unprincipled person often used humorously or affectionately. He had presented himself as more of a lovable reprobate than, than a spirit of corruption. Uh, let's see. In Calvinism, a sinner who is not of the elect and predestined to damnation. So Calvinist thinks, thinks that, you know, God created all these people and some people are just going to be saved and some people are just going to be damned. <clears throat> I do not like Calvinism. I think it's false doctrine. Um, I think it's, uh individuals with um, their private interpretation of scripture who are not interested in getting revelation see one of the things that drives me nuts about some individuals is they think that if they just study enough that they can logic their way to god and what happens is they will come up with this uh, this idea and they'll create a church or a following and then, the, you know, somebody else will not agree with them and they'll logic their way and they'll go somewhere else. And it's like, have you ever seen um, electricity, an electrode on a piece of dry wood? Like you can't control where all of those branches of electricity are going to. And I look at the Christian world as the same thing. Like you've got all these different individuals and they're all going off of uh, off in all different directions, and they're not united. <clears throat> in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that there is one God, one faith, and one baptism, and it says that there are prophets and apostles until all come in the unity of the faith. But when you have a bunch of people trying to logic their way to God, they're not going to come in unity. The only way we come into unity with each other is is by individually going to God, ourselves, and finding out what his interpretation is. And that if we rely upon our own interpretation, that we are relying on the arm of flesh, and we're trusting in the flesh of our minds, or the the flesh of others who have taught us by their logic. And that there is a curse that comes along with that, and that we need to go to God and get our information from him. It's fine to hear the prophets. It's fine to hear the teachers. It's fine to hear what other people have to say, but study it out for yourself and then be built upon the rock of revelation. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, how did he reveal it? He revealed it to Peter by revelation. Because Peter was a prophet. And Jesus says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Well, what's the rock? The Catholics want to say it's Peter, but that's not the rock. The rock was the rock of revelation because when we get revelation from the father and we have a correct interpretation of scripture, his interpretation at that point we can be united in the faith. But as long as we're relying upon the arm of flesh or the flesh of men or women who who have logic their way. They may have studied, they may know all of this stuff, but if they don't get revelation, they don't know what the correct interpretation of scripture is because they're not getting it from he whose interpretation it is, even the Father. Anyway, continuing on, he continues his remarks in talking about the faithful and the unfaithful, the righteous and the unrighteous, and the and concludes with the discussion of the curse or reprobation placed upon some of mankind. You see some classes of the human family that are black, uncouth, uncomely, I wonder if this is bringing me on. I don't know yet, Um, disagreeable and low in their habits, wild and seemingly deprived of nearly all of the blessings Of the intelligence that is generally bestowed upon mankind, and on page one hundred and sixty six, the first man that committed the odious crime of killing one of his brethren will be cursed the longest of any one of the children of Adam. Cain slew his brother. Cain might have been killed, and that would have put a termination to that line of human beings. This was not to be, and the Lord put a mark upon him, which is the flat nose and black skin, and trace mankind down to after the flood. And then another curse is pronounced on the same race, that they should be a servant of servants. And actually, that's in um, Genesis chapter nine, where that case is placed upon not Cain, but upon Canaan, the son of him. Ham is the son of Noah. Um, and they will be until that curse is removed. The abolitionists cannot help it, nor in the least alter that decree. How long is this? has got to be Brigham Young. Ugh, I don't like Brigham. Anyway, how long is, is that race to endure the dreadful curse that is upon them? That curse will remain upon them. And they can never, and they never can hold the priesthood or share in it until the other descendants of Adam have received the promises and enjoyed the blessings of the priesthood and the keys thereof. And that's why a lot of Mormons used to believe that blacks wouldn't get the priesthood until after the millennium was almost through, because of these quotes of Brigham Young, and I'm going to continue on with this, but like when Brigham Young talks like this, let me do a thought experiment with you. If the president of the church cannot lead the church astray, and Brigham Young taught these ideas from the pulpit, which he did, and now people are saying that that's wrong, Who's the ones leading the church astray? Is it, is it the foundational prophets like Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, especially Brigham Young, who taught these things? Or are they the modern prophets saying, oh, Brigham was leading the church astray? But then they also say that they can't lead the church astray because they're prophet seers and revelators. Well, Brigham Young was a prophet seer and revelator longer than any of them. He lived from 1800 all the way till 1877. He spent the majority of his life in in the Restoration. He was president of the church from 1846, I believe it was, until his death, on August 29th, 1877. Longer than any other president of the church. Including Joseph Smith himself. And he taught these things. And these modern guys will say. We can never lead you astray. But then they'll say. But Brigham Young did. So if like. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's these these Psychological. Uh, mental gymnastics that they play. Anyway, since I am committed to reading every word of the book, and I'm not sure why this is even in here, maybe Ogden will explain it later, because it doesn't seem like it has to do with reincarnation. Um, But I'm going to read it anyway. Until the last ones of the residue of Adam's children are brought up to that favorable position the children of Cain cannot receive the first ordinances of the priesthood they were the first that that were cursed and they will be the last from whom the curse will be removed when the residue of the family of adam come up and receive their blessings then the curse will be removed from the seed of Cain and they will receive the blessings In like proportion, and this is from Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page 290 and 291, and that was Brigham Young. Thus, this sermon dealing with the doctrine of election and reprobation is about God's chosen people and cursed people. Uh, By the way, so Brigham Young was all about talking about how other people were cursed but he never really talked about how the church was cursed. So in 1832, Joseph Smith received a revelation from the Lord which talked about the church being in condemnation. Okay? January 18th of 1841, Jesus talked about certain things that would have to happen and that if they wouldn't do the things that he said, which was mainly building and finishing the temple so that the Father could come and dwell therein, that he might restore that which was lost unto you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. I'm talking about DNC section 124, 27, 28, and on. Um, that Jesus said, if you don't do what I say, you'll be cursed and rejected. So Brigham Young's all good about Talking about how everybody else is cursed But he doesn't seem to get the fact That Joseph Smith In 1843 according to Lyman White said the church That because of the sloth In the, in the church That the church Had been rejected with their dad And like this is Like Jesus talks about Choosing another people A couple of times, Joseph Smith actually talks about that in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. I think it's on page 9 or 11, I can't remember. But he talks about how God, if the saints will not do what they have been commanded to do, God will choose another people. And that when Jesus said that the church would be cursed if the temple wasn't finished... And the, by the way, the Father never came to restore the fullness of the priesthood in the Navi Temple because guess what? The temple was—they just started working on the second story of the temple when Joseph Smith was murdered. Brigham Young said that he received the fullness of the priesthood in the Red Brick Store under the hand of Joseph Smith, but the problem is, and according to the Revelation, Jesus says the Father has to come and restore it in that temple which means Joseph Smith didn't have the fullness of the Melchizedek Priesthood. There are different orders of the Melchizedek Priesthood. In order to receive the first order of the Melchizedek Priesthood, you have to have the laying on of hands by an angel, or once an angel has done it, like Peter, James, and John, it is given to man on the earth to do the work in the priesthood. So these individuals were like, oh, I got ordained by an angel. No, you didn't. Because that priesthood is on the earth now. But in order to enter into the presence of the Father, as Jesus was saying, had to be done in the Nauvoo Temple, you have to have the first order of the Melchizedek Priesthood, which is the order that is passed down from one person to another. And then, once you have that priesthood, you can ha- uh, God can give you the fullness of that priesthood, but you cannot enter into his presence without the first order of the Melchizedek priesthood. That's why Moses had to go to Jethro because Jethro, his father-in-law, had the Melch the first order of the Melchizedek priesthood. He had to have the or, that order in order to be in the presence of God. And he was in the presence of God. He had the Melchizedek priesthood, the first order. Now, I don't know if Moses ever received the second order. And I think he did, because the second order, when you get that, God gives you the ability, through the fullness of the priesthood, to control the elements. Well... Moses did control the elements. He did what God told him to do, but he, you know, he commanded the the seed to part, part, and it did. He commanded the the rock to give water, and if you knew what the rock horrible like, oh my gosh, it's not it's not this little rock, okay? It's not even just a boulder like the size of a car or a man or even a house. The rock that he struck split in two and it was huge. And the water, you can still see it. The water's not there anymore, but you can see the erosion, the gushing of water that happened when Moses did what he did. Like all of these sites that are talked about, in the scriptures the parting of the red sea the chariots that were flood that you know they're on the bottom of the red sea they're still there there's video documentaries showing these artifacts underwater there are pillars on each side of the red sea crossing well that's not entirely true. Solomon had the pillars put on both sides, but on the Egyptian side the pillar you can see the pillar was cut down. But on the the Arabian side, the pillar's still there and it has ancient Hebrew writings on it. It's a marker for where that crossing took place. It it's awesome. Where the the pillar of fire was on the beach it melted the sand and the sand turned to glass and the rocks that were on the beach melted into the sand. That evidence the archaeological evidence is still there. The rock of Horeb is still there. Mount Sinai with its burnt top its scorched top it's still there. It's all still there, and we know some of us know where it's at, but I don't know. I'm getting into these, and you know what? Some people like these little tangents that I talk about. Um, Some people don't like it. Well, I can't please everyone, so I'm just going to be me and just talk about whatever comes into my mind and try to stick with the program because I don't want these to be ridiculously long It is said nothing about returning to this earth for another mortality. Keep in mind the 1828 Dictionary Definitions of Reprobation, previously given in Chapter 2, that Brigham Young was undoubtedly referring to at the time he gave the above discourse in 1859. Reprobation. The act of abandoning or state of being abandoned. So the act of abandoning or the state of being abandoned, a condemnatory sentence, rejection. And that comes from uh, the American Dictionary of the English Language, Webster's, volume 2, page 57. We're on page 167 at 21%, continuing Certainly, this describes Brigham Young's feelings of the condemnation for the descendants of Cain. In another public discussion of this same subject about 18 years prior, President Young, together with Willard Richards, wrote an article that was printed in 1841 in the Millennial Star, Volume 5, pages 217 through 225. Entitled Election and Reprobation The first sentence asks Do you believe in election and reprobation? The article continued for nine full pages defining the, elect- the elected as those who are chosen for their good works while the sinners were reprobates. Once again, election and reprobation were terms used to designate a division between the righteous and the wicked. In this article, as well, nothing was said about returning to mortality to be born again. Joseph Smith's Identity Reincarnation advocates, uh, advocates take numerous excerpts and sermons and writings And with private interpretation and assumptions, constant, constant true. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay, I hope you forgive me. That's construe, not constant true. I'm trying to do this today because my son, my three-year-old son's with a babysitter today. I got off work at five o'clock this morning. I drive a semi-truck from Castle Country here in central Utah over a mountain called Indian Pass. I don't know what the mountain's called. We call it Indian Pass, and it's 9,100 feet and some change. So it's it's higher than 9,100 feet, like by 14 feet or something like that. And I go over to the basin, and the basin is cold but that's where the oil is now there's no railroad spurs that go over there so in order to get the oil out of the basin if they could have a pipeline but they don't have that so what they do is we truck it out And yesterday, I got up, I think it was like three or four, I can't remember. And, uh, and I started working. And I did my first load, and everything went fine, and I went back for my second. And the first well I went to, I had to buy the well, which means I had to test the oil, test the, uh the water to make sure there was no water on the bottom where my load line would go into the tank. Because I'm not I don't wanna suck up water. Water comes up out of the ground with the oil and the natural gas and the condensate. Anyway, but um we went to Four wells, I think it was four, and we tested those wells and the and the oil and checked the water and the content or the the particulates and a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, so from 10 p.m. last night in Roosevelt, Utah, until about two in the morning, we stood outside testing and doing what we needed to do and guess what it was cold and so I am tired and I'm worn out I don't want to go to sleep because I have this time of, of quietness where I can do these programs without any other background, background noise um, but I'm exhausted <laughs> I could fall asleep right now, but anyway, so I will wait um, to do this and, until later. I'm gonna pause this program now. I'll be right back as so far as you're concerned, but I'm actually starting to fall asleep. And uh, let me just finish the rest of this this uh, page. And then I will take a break and uh, finish this recording later. And with private interpretations and ins- uh, assumptions, construe them to support the idea of reincarnation. For instance, Joseph once said, would to God, brethren, I could tell you who I am. And that's uh, according to the life of Huber C. Kimball by Whitney, page 333. And you know what, a lot of people want to say, Joseph Smith, <clears throat> Joseph Smith is the Holy Ghost. Because of this quote, he's like, I wish I could tell you who I am, but there's men on the stand who would kill me if I even uttered it. What well, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but, but the only problem with that idea that Joseph Smith is the Holy Ghost is D&C section 130, where Jesus says to Joseph Smith, the Father and the Son, myself, like, you know, Jesus talking, we have resurrected bodies of flesh and bone. But the Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, is is a spirit, you know, there, he doesn't have a body. Now, certain individuals want to throw out Section 130 because it was written by a certain individual who they don't like, But then those same individuals really like the Lecture at the Grove because it talks about reincarnation and multiple mortal probations and all of the things, right? But... (laughs) Joseph Smith in the Lecture at the Grove also talks about how the Holy Ghost is a spirit being. So, these individuals who want to throw out section 130, but they accept the lecture at the Grove where Joseph Smith talks about a whole bunch of really cool things, but he says the Holy Ghost is a spirit. At this time, at the time Joseph Smith said it, the Holy Ghost is a spirit. Now, Joseph Smith also said that. Um, that the Holy Ghost was waiting to take himself a body to come do the same or similar things that Jesus Christ has done. And he also said the Holy Ghost is yet in a state of probation waiting to take himself a body or something to that effect. There's a couple of different quotes. But um, people want to say, oh, that means Joseph Smith's the Holy Ghost. No, it doesn't. Joseph Smith said that the Holy Ghost was waiting to take himself a body to come to do the same or similar things that that Jesus Christ has done, meaning the Holy Ghost has to take a body so that he can be resurrected to receive his exaltation, and so he waits to the very end of of the Celestial age and then God puts him on the earth and God works it all out and he comes in mortality upon the earth he is God the witness and he is one of the two witnesses that will die in the streets of Jerusalem Joseph Smith is not the Holy Ghost also Joseph Smith is a pure Ephraimite he is not the divinic servant. In Genesis chapter 49, a prophecy is made that the scepter of power will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. Well, John the Baptist had the scepter of power and he was a Jew. Jesus Christ was a Jew, and he held the scepter of power. Peter, James, and John were Jews. They held the scepter of power. So Jacob in Genesis 49 says, The scepter of power shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. Well, John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, and Peter, James, and John are all part of Judah. But when Peter, James, and John gave the priesthood to Joseph Smith the scepter of power they gave it to Joseph Smith the scepter of power departed from the house of Judah and went to Shiloh or Joseph Smith now if Joseph Smith was also partly a Jew and uh, of Joseph the scepter of power would not have departed from Judah. Because Joseph Smith would have been a Jew. But he's not. He's an Ephraimite. He's a pure Ephraimite. So continuing on, they decided this was supposed to mean that he had lived many times, but couldn't have it put, but couldn't it have meant that Joseph Smith felt that he should not reveal to the people his true identity, calling and mission in this life again, Joseph said, "I have never had the opportunity to give them, speaking of the saints, the plan that God has revealed to me, doctrinal history of the church." Volume 3, page 286. They assume that reincarnation was that plan, but in reality, he could have been referring to a multitude of God's, God's plans. Joseph gave all the gospel keys, power and acknowledge to others before he died Brigham Young stated Joseph truly said no power can, can take away my life until my work is done uh, Discourses of Brigham Young by Witso page 400 and 468 and in another place in uh, I can't do this Okay, so when I come back, I'll be on page 168. We're actually at 28%. I'm going to take a nap, and then I'll have to finish this later. So uh, I guess we'll just leave it at that for right now. As far as you're concerned, I'll be right back. As far as I'm concerned, mm, I'm going to go to sleep. Because I really... I've been up... Oh, let's see. I've been up for a long time, and I'm just exhausted, so, all right, all right, we'll be back, I'll be back, uh, in just a minute, thanks for listening, okay, I'm back, so, uh, we're on page 168 at 28%, which is what I just said in this recording, 12 hours ago, (laughs) uh, actually, anyway, And in another place, it was also shown that Joseph told the twelve after he had instructed them in all things that on them would rest the responsibility and care of the church in case he should be taken away. Nauvoo Journal, BYU Studies, 1979, Volume 19, page 155. Brothers and sisters in the gospel, multiple mortality promoters apply the following passage to reincarnation, quote, I will bless him, speaking of Joseph Smith, and multiply him and give unto him and hon a hundredfold in this world of fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, fa- houses and lands, wives and children, and crowns of eternal lives in the eternal worlds doctrine and covenant section 132 verse 55 the savior had already given the meaning for such a passage when he said quote and he looked around about on them which sat about him and said behold my mother and my brethren for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Mark chapter three verses thirty-four and thirty-five. Undoubtedly, indelibly imprinted by the Holy Ghost, the particular quote by the prophet's mother said that Joseph could describe the ancient inhabitants of this continent their dress mode of traveling etc and this he could do with as much ease seemingly as if he had spent his whole life with them biographical sketches by lucy Max smith page 85. according to some this can be interpreted to mean that he spent a prior life among them however it should be remembered that when the Lord gives visions to his servants and prophets, they are given by the power of the Holy Ghost. Page, And we're on page 169 at 34%. Which is a power more forceful, forceful than the five senses. Everything we say, see, and hear is an indelibly imprinted in our minds, and the Holy Ghost can easily recall any of it. It will always be that perfect. As Jesus stated, quote, Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account. Therefore, in the day thereof, in the day of judgment. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Comparisons to Aaron, Nathaniel, and Moses Another private interpretation of a revelation to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cal- Caldwell assumes that they were reincarnated when it states that they were called and ordained even as Aaron. Doctrine and Covenants section 27 verse 8. That is interpreted to mean that one or the other was actually Aaron, instead of meaning that they were called in the same way Aaron was called. In a revelation about Edward Partridge, who was an early church leader, it's said that he is like unto Nathanael of old, Doctrine and Covenants section 41 verse 11, which of course they interpret to mean that he was really Nathanael. Other passages in the Doctrine and Covenant, section 103, verses 15 through 16, and in 2 Nephi, chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, refer to Joseph Smith as one like Moses. 2 Nephi does not refer to Joseph Smith as one like Moses. Whatever. Anyway, continuing on, uh, if you want to go look that up, it's 2 Nephi, chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. In order to understand Second Nephi chapter three, you can't just give two verses and say, that's what this means. You have to understand Isaiah chapter 11, when it talks about the stem, the root, the rod and the branch. These are four servants that come in the last days. You actually have to, to read the whole chapter. Which I'm gonna do right now, but before I do that, um, I'm gonna go back and I'm just doing this by memory. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lo- uh, read everything that I'm talking about. You can go look for yourself. But in Joseph Smith history and the LDS uh, the, LD, the LDS uh, scriptures. Um, When Joseph meets Moroni, he meets a man who tells him, a resurrected man who tells him um, that there's going to be these, you know, things that are going to happen. And, like, I'll just give you a background for those of you who don't know. So, uh, in 1820, when Joseph Smith was trying to find a church to... To attend he was confused by um by the arguments between these different religions and he found them all to be persuasive but they couldn't all be true because like people would say no this scripture means this it doesn't mean that and then they'd argue about it and like you know they were doing the whole private interpretation thing which all the churches do but they don't get revelation they don't even believe in prophets much less that God is no respecter of persons and that all of God's children's, uh, children can be prophets. So they're arguing a lot. And um, Joseph Smith's sister led him to a passage, James chapter 1, verse 5, and he was reading it, and basically what it says is, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he will give it to you freely or liberally, and he will not upbraid you, which means he won't scold you for asking the question. And so Joseph Smith went one day into the woods uh, to find a private place so that he could ask God his question. And when he did so, um, at first, when he was asking, a power of darkness overcame him and tried to suffocate him. And I believe tried to kill him. And because Satan knew who he was. See, if you are a threat to the devil's kingdom, he's going to try to stop you. And I know that by personal experience. He's tried to stop me all my life. And he did the same thing to Joseph Smith. And and in fact, I have been attacked by uh, satanic powers many times. Because Satan... Even before I knew who I was in this mortality, Satan already knew who I was. And it was the same thing with Joseph Smith. Satan knew exactly who Joseph Smith was before Joseph Smith knew knew any of uh, anything. He knew Satan knew that he was foreordained to this purpose to do this work, and that Joseph Smith and others were very powerful in convincing others in the war in heaven not to follow after Lucifer before he fell and became Satan. And so Joseph Smith was being attacked by Satan and suffocated. And at the point when he was about ready to to just give up, he saw a light, he said, which is above the brightness of the sun which descended on him And it gradually fell upon him, and when the light rested upon him, he saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description standing above him in the air. And one of them spake unto him and said, This is my beloved son, hear him. So that was the father who was telling Joseph Smith to hear Jesus Christ. It was the father and the son that visited Joseph Smith. And they told him not to join any of the churches, that they were all an abomination. Their creeds were an abomination. And the reason why they're an abomination is because they take the scriptures and they mingle them with their own thoughts and ideas. They don't get revelation to make sure that the things that they are teaching are true. So there are things within the different denominations of religion, especially back in the 1820s, that are the the thoughts of men mingled with scripture and it 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 corrupts the pure doctrine of God. Anyway, so he had this experience. He was told not to join any of the other religions, and um, it was a very profound experience that Joseph only told part of. He would give later details more of of what happened, but he didn't give the whole account he made it simplified or he simplified it for the audience in which he was speaking and i know exactly what he why he did that because i've done the same thing because when i saw the father and the son face to face in 2003 um i don't talk about the full experience i do talk about a lot of it and i've been more um open with what uh what happened especially after I was told in 2013 to be bold with my witness. But like, if I'm talking to somebody I know is a Trinitarian or a Christian, I might not say everything that happened. I might only talk about part of the experience because I'm not going to overwhelm them. And the the message that the spirit is telling me to give them, um, isn't the whole thing anyway. But, So, so that happened in 1820 when Joseph Smith was, I believe he was 14 years old. So in 18, let's see, 19, he would have turned 14 because he was born December, uh, December 23rd, 1805. Anyway, so a couple of years later, um he's like wondering joseph smith is wondering okay well god told me not to join any of these churches but like i need more instruction and so he's like got this these things in his heart that he's pondering over and he's praying over and as he was in his bedroom this time um And pondering over these things, God sent a messenger whose name was Moroni, who was an ancient prophet uh, in the Americas. (coughs) Excuse me, Um, from the house of uh, from the house of Joseph, instead of Judah. Okay, so because God is no respecter of persons, He's got prophets among His different. He's different people. Anyway, so Muran, I told him that all of these things were about to happen. And one of the things he said was that Isaiah chapter 11 was about to happen. And that the man of Acts chapter uh, 3. I can't remember. Hold on. Okay, I said I wasn't going to do this, but I just went to it. So it's Joseph Smith history chapter forty. No, chapter chapter 1. There's only one chapter. And uh, once again, this is in the Joseph Smith version in the Pearl of Great Price. So verse 40, in addition to these, he quoted the 11th chapter of Isaiah saying it was about to be fulfilled. He also quoted the uh, um, 3rd chapter of Acts 22nd and 23rd verses precisely as they stand in our New Testament. Moroni said that that prophet was Christ, but the day had not yet come when they who would not hear his voice should be cut off from among the people, but soon would come. So if you go to Acts chapter 23 and um, 22 and 23, it says, For truly said, let's see, for Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things, and whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. But if you go back to what Moroni said, he said that that Isaiah chapter 11, which speaks of the stem, the root, the rod, and the branch, four servants of god and that that the man of acts chapter 3 22 and 23 is a christ that that prophet was christ okay christ is a title jesus is not the only christ Christ in Aramaic is Messiah, and in Hebrew, it's Mashiach. Okay, now, Moses was a Mashiach. He was the Lord's anointed. Now, Jesus Christ is the Redeemer and Savior of the world, but there are many true Christs. There's many false Christs as well, but there's many true Christs. Now, Moroni said that the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. Now, this is in the 1820s. Jesus Christ had already been rejected by his people. This is not speaking of of Jesus, but he's speaking of a, a, a another prophet that's supposed to come who will be the Lord's anointed or a Mashiach, or in Aramaic, a Messiah, or in Greek, a Christ. If you go to Doctrine and Covenants section 113, Joseph is asking who the stem is. And Jesus doesn't say, verily I say unto you, I am the stem. All he says is the stem is Christ. Now everybody's like, oh, that means Jesus, because people are hyper-focused especially Christians, are hyper-focused on Jesus being everything all the time. But Jesus doesn't say, verily, I tell you, I am the stem. He says, verily, well, let me go to it. All right, so, Doctrine and Covenants section 113, verse 1. Who is the stem of Jesse spoken in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 5th verses of of The 11th chapter of Isaiah And that's the chapter that speaks of these Davidic servants that come in the last days Who are the stem The root The rod and the branch And uh, verse 2 it says Verily thus saith the Lord It is Christ Now like I said Jesus doesn't say I am the stem He simply says it is christ or it is a christ now if you know anything about jewish lore you know that there is messiah ben judah and a messiah ben joseph and that messiah ben joseph is coming in the last days to prepare the way for the messiah ben judah who is the king messiah who we know as Jesus Christ or Yeshua ben Yosef, or more literally Yeshua ben Yehovah. But anyway, Jesus Christ. Well, this happens in the last days. It's like one greater than John the Baptist comes to prepare the way for the second coming. Now, Jesus... Or Moroni is saying, Verily, I'm telling you that this man like unto Moses who is about to come and Isaiah chapter 11, which is about to be fulfilled, that this is a Christ that, or a Messiah that is going to come. But the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. See, Jesus had already been rejected by the Jews who were his people. It's not speaking of him. It's speaking of this other Messiah that's about to come. And in 3 Nephi chapter 3, it's speaking of this Messiah. But it's also speaking of Joseph Smith. And I'll just read it for you. And now I speak unto you, Joseph, my lastborn. So Joseph is the son of Lehi. Lehi is a prophet who was in the school of the prophets with other individuals like Jeremiah or Yeremiyahu in the Hebrew and Lehi was told to leave Jerusalem and take his people to another place, to the land of Bountiful in the Arabian Peninsula because Jerusalem was about to be destroyed and Lehi convinced his friend Ishmael to take his family with them. So you've got two families and two patriarchs of two families. Both of them are of the tribe of Joseph. One is of the tribe of Manasseh and the other is of the tribe of Ephraim. Okay. Lehi and Ishmael are of these two tribes of Joseph, um, Manasseh and, and Ephraim. And they take off and they go down to this place called Bountiful and they spend several years there. And God instructs Nephi, the son of Lehi, how to build a a boat so that they can go and become an ocean-faring people. And when the boat is... And he did the same thing with Noah, okay? Noah was told you know build this boat and like there wasn't any rain or anything like that there wasn't these big oceans back then um when the when the rains came the atmosphere was completely water that protected them from the uv uv and other harmful radiation rays of the sun and that water came down upon the earth that's why they lived so much longer in the days of noah before the flood, than they did after. So, and it also says the the rains are the waters came up from the earth and it flooded the whole earth and there was like a great divide in the land and some land was pushed up, other land was um, moved downwards and there was uh, a place for the water to go into and that's where you see the oceans today. Okay, but my whole point is that that. instructed Noah how to build a boat the same way that that Nephi was instructed to build a smaller boat for his people. And in Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob gives a blessing to his son Joseph, who is the great-great-great-grandfather of these individuals, Lehi and um, Ishmael he tells him that he, Jacob or Israel tells Joseph his son that his, his posterity or his descendants are going to be led away away from their brethren basically away from the other tribes of Israel and they will be led to their own land where they will not be able to be harmed by their brethren like Judah and and Benjamin and Levi and all these these other brothers that Joseph has. And they would be taken, his descendants, Joseph, of the tribe of Joseph, to the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills. Now, if you look on a globe and you look at uh, mountain chains... There is only one mountain chain which goes from the very south part of the world almost to Antarctica, not quite, but all the way up to almost the North Pole. These are the everlasting hills that Jacob, or Jehovah saw in his vision and he gave the blessing to his son Joseph that his posterity would be taken to. The upmost bounds of the everlasting hills. I'm speaking of what we call the Andes and the Rocky Mountains, the utmost bounds obviously being the Rocky Mountains. And this continent that they would be taken to would be a place that would separate them. And this this Lehi and this Ishmael and this you know, these individuals, these families, they left Jerusalem before the Babylonian captivity at the command of God. And they built a boat over the course of many years... And they went to North America. They were on the ocean for a long time... And they landed and they came here... And they were there were other people here, of course... But they were part... They had their people here... And they, they developed a civilization. So before Jesus Christ was put on the cross... Not long before, he told his disciples in Jerusalem, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now, Jesus never went out of Palestine. He never went to another people in his mortality. But after his resurrection, he did go to another people. After his resurrection and his 40-day ministry among the Jews, he went as a resurrected individual to other tribes of the house of Israel that had been scattered from, from the other people. And one of those peoples was these Ephraimites and these Menasheites of the house of Joseph or Yosef in the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills. And that's why we have this record, the second witness of the ministry of Yeshua or Jesus Christ. That's what the Book of Mormon is. For those of you who may not know, That's where the Book of Mormon comes from. It is a second witness of Jesus Christ. Amos, in Amos, the book of Amos in the Bible, it says, Verily, um, or surely the Lord God will do nothing except for who reveals uh, reveals his secrets unto his servants the prophets. And it is by the mouth of two or three witnesses that every word shall be established. Jesus Christ was given a second witness by these josephites who were led away to the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills and that is the second witness that jesus is the messiah and that's the book of mormon all right so i think i'm getting off into some tangents you guys can go read second nephi chapter three for yourselves i I need to get through this I'm already an hour and 17 minutes into this teaching and I'm only at 39% so let's see here and you know Joseph was a man like unto Moses in that he gathered the people but he had not he wasn't rejected by the whole of his people this man like unto Moses who is a Christ is not Joseph Smith the Davidic servant is the Messiah that comes or Messiah ben Joseph he is partly of the house of Judah and partly of the house of Ephraim Joseph Smith is a pure Ephraimite when in Genesis chapter 49 Jacob talks about the scepter of power shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes Jesus Christ was of the house of Judah So the scepter of power did not depart from Judah when Jesus Christ came. When the keys or the scepter of power given to Peter, James, and John, they were of the house of Judah. So the scepter of power did not depart from Judah when Peter, James, and John had the the scepter of power. They were still on the house of Judah through Peter, James, and John. But when they were given... The scepter of power, when they were given to Joseph Smith, they departed from the house of Judah to the house of Joseph because Joseph Smith was a pure Ephraimite. Now, I know this is a little bit confusing, but Joseph of old, the son of Jacob, that's the house that we're talking about. Joseph Smith was a pure Ephraimite. He was not of the house of Judah. So when the scepter of power was given to Joseph Smith, it was given to a pure Ephraimite. Now some individuals want to say that Joseph Smith is the man like to Moses or the Davidic servant, but David and Jesse were of Judah see joseph smith cannot be the davidic servant or the stem or messiah ben joseph because messiah ben joseph is partly of the house of judah and partly of the house of joseph and the davidic servant is a p- partly of the house of judah and if if joseph smith was a was part of the house of judah then the scepter of power didn't depart from joseph are from Judah, the house of Judah, because Joseph Smith would have been of the house of Judah. I know this is. I wish I could explain it better. But when Joseph Smith received the scepter of power, the scepter of power departed from the house of Judah completely to the house of Joseph. Joseph Smith is not the Davidic servant because a Davidic servant has to be of the house of Judah. And if Joseph Smith is of the house of Judah and Joseph, then we're still looking for Shiloh to come because the house or the scepter of power has to depart from the house of Judah at some point. According to the revelation in Bereshit or Genesis chapter 49. I I hope you get what I'm throwing out there. Anyway, oh man, that was a long tangent. But for some reason, I felt like I needed to say something. So maybe somebody needed to hear what I was saying. I don't know. Anyway, continuing on, we're at 39% through the reading. Some of these arguments are not worth the time and effort to explain. Being like someone does not mean they are actually that person. A son may have many features and beliefs like his father, but he is not his father. Resurrected beings to again stand in the flesh, another misinterpretation incident is when Parley P. Pratt was returning to Nauvoo after the death of Joseph, and he received a revelation, quote, On a sudden, the Spirit of God came upon me and filled my heart with joy and gladness and said unto me, My servant Joseph still holds the keys of my kingdom in this dispensation And he shall stand in due time upon the earth in the flesh And fulfill that to which he is appointed And we're on page 170 at 42% But anyway, that's the autobiography of Parley P. Pratt, page 333 Well, that's a mouthful to some that is supposed to mean that he will be born again in mortality and take over the leadership of the church once more yeah and i've i've you know i there's people who listen to this program and there's people who i listen to and they tell me these things joseph smith's coming back and he's on the earth right now and uh, i don't know but they also believe he's the davidic servant, and like i just explained joseph smith is not the davidic servant of course if you want to do some mental gymnastics, I'm pretty sure that you can you can hit the target. You know, but I'm just telling you, Joseph Smith is not the Davidic servant. He may assist, but Joseph also said that once the authority is on the earth, no angel from heaven can come to do any work of God. That's why Jesus didn't baptize. Uh, Paul himself when he did, appeared to him on the road to Damascus that he instructed Paul to go to Ananias because Ananias had the priesthood and it is against the laws of God for a angel of God or somebody to come back down on the earth to do the work of of the ministry when the ministry when the the power is on the earth now these individuals will say well Joseph Smith was told in DNC section 124 that the fullness of the priesthood had been taken away from the earth and that that jesus had to come and restore it again because they twist things up because they're trying to make sense in their mind of how these things work out right but there's no revelation that says that the melchizedek priesthood was taken from the earth it simply says that the fullness of the priesthood which is the fullness of the Melchizedek Priesthood, which can only be given by the Father, had to be restored by the Father in the Nauvoo Temple, according to DNC section 124. Now, in order to come into the presence of the Father, you have, in not just a vision, but actually where he is laying his hands on your head, the same way he did to me, in 2003, when I was sealed up unto eternal life, you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood. No person can go into the Davu Temple, even if it was finished, which it never was, but they could not go into the into the Nauvoo Temple to go into the presence of the Father to receive the fullness of the priesthood without having the first order of the Melchizedek priesthood laid upon their heads. And once again, we've gone off into some tangents. And I'm at an hour and 25 minutes. This is going to be a long program. I might as well just get back into the reading. <coughs> okay. However, this did not mean... Uh, sorry, I got into that because because these individuals believe Joseph Smith is coming back as as a... As a mortal being on the earth. Now the individual who is promoting these ideas. Has twisted what the resurrection is. Into meaning many multiple mortal probations. And there is a place for that. From world to world. As I've been revealed. And I've talked about in past programs. Which God has revealed to me. But I don't know. That it is many multiple mortalities in one earth rotation or one earth cycle see this earth was created there was a garden placed upon it it goes through a telestial phase after the fall it goes through a terrestrial phase in the millennium and then it becomes a celestial orb and a new earth is created and this earth as a celestial orb joins with the heavens or the shamaim and a new earth is created after this earth becomes a celestial sphere. And we're when we're resurrected, we are damned in a state of resurrection unless we're exalted. Even if it's a lower degree of a celestial kingdom, we're damned in that place. But God revealed to me that when... The new earth is created. We have the opportunity to choose to put off our resurrection and go into a new probation of mortality on a new earth with a new savior, and that we will be, we will be placed into a uh, into a mortality with the experiences that we need to grow so that we can gain a higher resurrection and that this is a process that happens throughout the eternities and it is what is the doctrine of eternal lives fully fulfilled or explained. That is the doctrine of multiple mortal probations but but God told me there was more to it but he didn't reveal to me what that was and I I'm still... Wondering and speculating on exactly what he meant when he said there was more to it. So I'm open to the idea that certain individuals can come back on the earth after they have gone. So a lot of people thought that John the Baptist was Elisha. That he had come back because the ancient Jews understood these doctrines better than we do today. And Joseph Smith was told that he would do all this work and he didn't, he didn't finish it because of the sloth and the wickedness of the saints God allowed him to be taken from the fold and there were a lot of things which Joseph Smith never finished which, which according to these individuals who believe in multiple mortal probations that Joseph Smith has to come back to do this work He would have to come back into mortality to do that. But then they say, well, Joseph Smith is a Davidic servant. Joseph Smith was a pure Ephraimite. He is Shiloh. He is not of the house of David or Judah. He is not the Davidic servant. He may assist in the work, but if Joseph Smith is coming back, then he might be one of the two witnesses. the Davidic servant being the other witness. And I'm talking about the two witnesses in the in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. But, but these individuals are so hyper-focused on Joseph Smith returning, they can't see the Davidic servant for who he is. Because you're not Joseph Smith. Of course, what I find funny about this is that these individuals... They say, oh, Joseph won't have the same name that he had before. And he won't look like, you know, Joseph Smith. We don't know what he looks like. We don't know what his name is. Uh, Some individuals who claim to know who he is, they say, oh, yeah, he doesn't have the same name, whatever. I just find it interesting. I find the whole thing interesting, you know. But so... If... If Joseph Smith is coming back I think he'll be one of the two witnesses Who die in the streets of Jerusalem With God the witness Who is Messiah ben Joseph Who is partly Of the house of Judah And of Joseph And and Jesus, or, uh, I'm sorry And Joseph Smith who was a pure Ephraim Will die in the streets And that'll be fulfilled I, I think that they're the two witnesses Of course that's speculation I don't know And I'm going to be open with you that I don't know because these individuals who have all these answers, they know everything. They have an answer for everything. When you find an individual who has an answer for everything and he knows everything, you can guarantee that he's a false prophet. Because he's led away in his arrogance and his pride and he has to have an answer for everything because... Because he's the big Pumbaa, Lord's anointed, or maybe he's not the Lord's anointed. But you know, you know, you know what I mean. Like these individuals who are like this, they can't tell you. Well, I'm not exactly sure. God hasn't revealed it to me, but I think it's this or it's that or whatever. That that takes a little bit of humility to uh, to admit that you don't know everything. But we're all mortals in this earth, you know. Unless God reveals. Something to us, like we're not going to know everything, but people who act like they do, I guarantee that they are false prophets or they were true prophets who fell because that can happen, and that they are they have become or they already were Judas goats. And what a Judas goat is is the The sheep will follow a a goat. You put one goat with a bunch of sheep. The goat has more of a stubborn nature. But if the goat is trained properly, the shepherd can use the goat or the sheep herder can use the goat to get the sheep to to lead the sheep as the goat does what the master says. And so the goat will lead the sheep into shoots, which will lead them into the slaughterhouse. And right before they go into the slaughterhouse, the master will take the Judas goat, which is leading these sheep to their death and he will pick in, pick the goat up or lead the goat out. and then the goat or the, the sheep which are following him, They'll try to follow him, but but the goat will be taken away from them. So the goat won't go into the slaughterhouse. And the sheep that are behind the first sheep will continue to push because they're following the goat. And they're following the sheep in front of them. And they push the other ones into the, the house of slaughter. And Judas goats, much the same way, will lead you to destruction they will teach you a lot of truth but in key points of doctrine they will teach you perversion and it'll twist your whole it'll get you off the straight narrow path you'll go wandering off into the wilderness wilderness, much the same way Lehi did in his dream He was following the Judas goat, or the righteous man, in air quotes. And he went off and he found himself in in dense fog and in darkness because he was following the religious man. He was placing his arm, or he was placing his trust in the arm of flesh. And probably in the flesh of his own mind, because he thought to himself, Oh, this sounds good. I'm going to follow this individual. So he made that decision and he he was taken off the straight and narrow path. And it wasn't until he cried out to God and stopped following the religious man that he went back to the iron rod or the Word of God. The Word of God is the revelation of God, it's not just the scriptures. It is the revelation of God to his children who can all be prophets. Moses said that God would, that all his children would be prophets. God is no respecter of persons. That we can all be prophets and we should all be prophets. If you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you. How do you think he does that? He does that by revelation. What happens when you receive revelation? Revelation. You are a prophet. The testimony of Jesus Christ comes by the spirit of prophecy. When you know that Jesus Christ is the Savior and the Son of God, you know that by prophecy, if you know it correctly. Some people know it by logic, but those individuals who know everything by logic, they know about Jesus, but they don't know him. Because in order to know him, you have to know him. You have to get revelation. You have to have a personal relationship with him. And when Jesus says that uh, many shall come to me and say in that day, Lord, Lord, have not we done many great things in your name? And he, he turns to them and he says, depart from me. I never knew you or the correct translation is you never knew me. Because these individuals who logic their way to God without revelation. They never really know him. You have to get revelation for yourself to know him. And in order to know him truly. The testimony of Jesus Christ comes by the spirit of prophecy. And if you lack wisdom ask God and he will give it to you. Continuing on with the reading, oh my gosh, this is going to be a ridiculously long program. However, this did not mean he would be born again as a baby, as Wilfred Woodruff said. Quote, we should have brothers, Joseph and Hiram and many of the saints in their resurrected bodies with us on the earth. And that comes from Wilfred Woodruff's journals, chapter 3, verses, uh, our page 244. So so now these individuals who say that Joseph Smith has to return, they will say, oh, the resurrection just means you're born again into immortality." Oh, my gosh. See how they twist things up so that they're, they can defend? So they, they, they come up with these ideas. And then there are things which contradict their ideas. Now, Joseph Smith said in April of 1844, shortly before his death, he said uh, if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you have to set them down as imposters. Now, these individuals who do contradict the truth, they have to take the truth and, and rework it rework the definitions of words and meanings so that it works with whatever the whatever line of garbage they're trying to sell to you. And these individuals who who want to say, oh resurrection just means you're born into another mortality. No it doesn't. When you're resurrected, you're born, or you're not born, you're resurrected as you were. When Jesus Christ was resurrected, he wasn't born as another baby in another manger. He came back three days later as himself. And they'll say, oh, well, there's different kinds of resurrections because they want you to believe the line of garbage that they've already given to you and when you say well that seems to contradict these things they want to tell you oh it doesn't really because these things you're you're wrong about your definition this really means this and really that really means that and they do that so that their first lie that they're trying to sell you Is plausible and they won't be counted as imposters, which Joseph Smith said, if they contradict, you know, the the true interpretation, I'll just say it for myself. I'll, I'll say what Joseph Smith said and then I'll add some to it. If they contradict the true interpretation of scripture, they are imposters. And the only way somebody gets the true interpretation of Scripture isn't by logicking their way to it through much study. but But through much study they get to it and they ask God and God gives them revelation and inspiration and then they go back to God once they've gotten the revelation and inspiration and they tell God what their interpretation or what they believe uh, God is revealing to them and they ask for a confirmation of the Spirit that what they believe is correct. And as they do these things they can be built upon the rock of revelation and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. Continuing on, Brigham Young, similar to Solomon, to some Brigham Young was supposed to be King Solomon because they both built the temple without a hammer 1st Kings chapter 6 verse 7 what? I've never heard this before now I have really because I've read this book before I've read it on my other program I've, this is like the second time I'm reading it onto, my, onto a podcast because my old podcast was hacked and, and destroyed but um, but Brigham Young built a a temple without a hammer. Well, that's weird because um, the granite quarries in Little Cottonwood Canyon, I think it is, maybe it's Big Cottonwood Canyon, where the granite for the the Salt Lake Temple came from, that was that was, you know, split by hammers. Uh, but anyway, whatever, like. But some individuals will say, okay, well, Brigham Young is is the reincarnation of King Solomon. Anyway, furthermore, Solomon had sculpted lions on both sides of his throne and ornamented his house. Brigham also had two lions at the entrance of his house, the Lion House. It's a place in Salt Lake that you can go to. Coincidentally, Brigham was also called the Lion of the Lord. Um, Brigham Young was also a liar. He claimed to have the fullness of the priesthood, which oh, this is going to be a long program. Jesus Christ said that, uh, that the Father and the Most High had to uh, restore the fullness of the priesthood in the temple that Joseph and the people had to build. D&C section 124 he also said that if they were not obedient that they would be rejected as a as a church with their dead which is why the church is rejected okay because the temple was never built the father never came to the temple jesus never came to the temple no angel ever came to the temple and the fullness of the priesthood was never given to joseph smith because when joseph smith died they had just started working on the second story of the temple Which means the Father never came to restore the fullness of the priesthood to anybody, let alone Joseph Smith or Brigham Young. Brigham Young stated that he was given the fullness of the priesthood in the red brick store by Joseph Smith. But Joseph Smith never was given the fullness of the priesthood because the Father never restored it to the earth. Brigham Young is a liar. There was a secession crisis and they didn't know what to do. So Brigham Young lied and took reins and wrestled them away from Sidney Rigdon and Lyman White and all of these other individuals who were like, no, I should be the, the legal successor because God took the two individuals who were leading the church, Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith, which Jesus said, if you don't do what I say, you'll be rejected as a church with your dead. And also in that same revelation, DNC section 124, all they who hinder this work, what work building the temple, will be cursed to the third and fourth generation. Now, how many years is a generation? According to Moses walking around in the wilderness with the Israelites following him, one generation is 40 years. Four generations is 160 years. Lyman White recorded that Joseph Smith said that the church had been rejected in 1843 and guess what? 160 years later in 2003 God gave me the fullness of the priesthood in his own temple upon Mount Vashel when I saw him face to face with Jesus Christ and embraced them both in the flesh. And in Isaiah chapter 28 when it talks about the drunkards of Ephraim in the last days and the one mighty and strong coming among them it gives a sign for his coming and it talks about the waves heaving themselves beyond their bounds well what happened in 2003 I was ordained with the fullness of the priesthood and sealed up to the Father or I had the fullness of the priesthood conferred upon me as the one mighty and strong and the sign is came in 2004 when the tsunami waves heaving themselves beyond their bound happened in Indonesia when the 9.6 earthquake happened. and hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives. When Isaiah talked about waves heaving themselves beyond their bounds with the, one mighty, the advent of the one mighty and strong coming among the drunkards of Ephraim, that was fulfilled in 2004. That's the sign that he saw, the major event that he saw happening around the time when the when the one mighty and strong would be on the earth. And DNC Section 85, Jesus Christ says that he tells Joseph Smith. He would have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order because it would get out of order. And I'm here. I don't talk about it a whole lot. But I'm one of the ones mighty and strong. I am the one that is gonna come. And I I wanted to even say in the past, oh this okay, well, I'm one of them, but but obviously, the one who sets the house of God in order and issues the inheritances and all of that was was Michael Adam when he comes back at Adam and Diamond, and uh, and I was uh, corrected by Jesus Christ that that I have that role that that I'm not going to pawn or push that off because I don't want this. Okay, God told me who I am. I don't want this. I don't want to be a prophet or a leader or anything else. God told me to be bold with my witness and so I am and I do these teachings, but I don't want to be a leader. I wanted to know what these mysteries were. I wanted to understand God. I wanted to be close to him. But that's all I wanted. And when he told me who I was, I was shocked by it. I did not want this. I was hoping it was somebody else. I still hope Joseph Smith comes back and he assists in the work because I don't want to do this alone. Now, I'm going to have to do a part two because we're only at 46%, but I want to talk about some things because... If you are a listener of the podcast, you know that recently I tried, I was going to just cancel everything. Because I, I'm tired of doing this alone. I'm tired of the rejection and the criticism and, and all that comes with this role. I hate it. A couple of months ago, God gave me a dream. And in this dream I was upon a, big, a large plateau and there was a canyon that went around and down in the canyon there was a river and I, I was like really high up and I'm scared of heights personally I don't I I have a hard time dealing with getting on the top of my house I'm I'm scared of heights and I think that's because when I was like years old I fell out of a tree like pretty far Now I don't know but whatever so anyway I'm scared of heights and I'm like in the dream I'm like oh my gosh I'm so high up and I was like walking towards the west and there was an ocean towards the west and I, I looked down and I'm like wow that ocean is way down there like I'm higher up than I think I am and I get out on this ledge, and I look over the ledge, and there's, like, this cliff that's holding this ocean back of pure water. And I realize that, like, way down there, there's this farm farmhouse and this farm on, on one of the ledges. And I'm like, whoa, I'm way even higher than I thought that I was. And then... I creep out on the ledge a little bit further and I, I look down and there's cities that are the size of marbles if I hold them out in my hand outstretched. Like, I'm in space. That's how high I am. You know, in the dream. And there are cracks in the ledge that I'm looking at because There are cracks in me. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to fall. But something else that occurred to me that this dream was showing me is that I'm alone. And like, ever since 2003, and even before that, (coughs) <coughs> I'm sorry. I, sorry, I usually mute myself before I cough, but that one came on me pretty quick. Um, ever since 2003, I've wanted to lead other people to God because of my experiences. And, But I also I was under the uh, the idea that We don't talk about our sacred experiences Because that's what the church teaches And I believe the reason they teach it like that Is because they themselves do not have these experiences And so they don't want members of the church to upstage them you know because they're supposed to be the lord's anointed they're supposed to be the ones that have those experiences and that somebody like myself some some dirty rotten trucker like myself can't have these experiences because because they should have them not me you know and then when i told my state president about my experience with the father and the son like that he turned red in the face be red he was so angry that I would even claim to have the experiences that I've had. Because I'm a dirty, rotten, nobody truck driver. Just like Jesus Christ was a dirty, rotten carpenter. He was a nobody. I'm a nobody. The Jews of his day couldn't stand the fact that this upstart nobody... What had a following. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can't stand the fact that this upstart nobody dirty rotten trucker with no education. Has had the experiences that I've had. And even though l tom perry came out and visited me about the experience that i've had and interviewed me at the request of gordon b hinckley this this stake president he wouldn't even investigate that and l tom perry was still alive when this all happened 10 years ago l tom and i even showed him the letter i showed him the church archive numbers because uh, my letter, which was sent to Gordon B. Hinckley, which was delivered back to me by L. Tom Perry, when he came to interview me about my experiences, it was archived in the church archives in the First Presidency vault and in the General Vault, and I have those records still. They gave me copies of, of my letter back with the, the uh, Office of the First Presidency stamps, email Love the first presidency stamps and also the record numbers both record numbers but I have been alone upon the mountain and I've wanted to bring other people there the same way that Moses wanted to bring other people to the mountain to meet God but for the most part I am alone And I have to do this work without a whole lot of fanfare, without a whole lot of help, with, with a whole lot of persecution and ridicule and all of the things, because I'm gaining the experiences that I need for the next step in my resurrection And so I hope that I never just give this work up, even though I really, really want to. I don't want to be your teacher, and I do not want to be your leader, but I cannot stop because God has told me to continue. So we're going to have to do a part two of this because, like I said, we're only at 46% and this is two hours into this program. So um, let me get to the next page and see if we can find a good place to stop. Which I should have already done. But And on and on it goes. And above reference, the above reference and quotations show the extra effort it takes to arrive at conclusions that in any way support reincarnation. If Joseph Smith or Brigham Young had formerly been some other person or prophet on the earth, they certainly would have said so. Since, since during their lifetime, this belief in transmigration was the spirit... Was of this, uh, trans. Oh, I'm sorry... This belief in transmigration of the spirit was not a strange doctrine to the people of the world, and would not have been very difficult to teach. Life and eternal lives. All right, we're gonna we're gonna end it at this point. So we're at 47 percent, and we are on page 100 and almost 171. So anyway. Um, we'll do a part two uh, thank you for listening to this program um, if you find this information valuable please share it you know I've been sent to warn the people to be a witness to gather but I can only speak to the ears that hear me and I have a platform which is you know people all over the world know who I am sprinkled among the nations as Isaiah chapter 49 talks about the Davidic servant sprinkles his word among the nations that's what's happening here but to he or she who has been warned it is given for you to warn your neighbor and this is your warning Babylon the Great is going to fall There is a gathering place in Zion where we will be led into the highways at the top of the mountains and into the desert places, and that is, according to Isaiah 35, where Zion will be born, in the wilderness of the desert. Not Independence, Missouri. It'll go there, but it will not be born there. God has revealed to me that Emory County, Utah is the gathering place. And so this is a warning. Those of you who are in Babylon the Great, which is the West, if you want to escape the destructions, especially in America, you will come here to Emory County, Utah. To a place where I am, where I don't want to be your leader. <laughs> it's it's messed up. Anyway, thank you for listening to the program. Take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye.